Welcome to the Daily Rejoicing Podcast, a time for us to focus on the Word of God daily and rejoice in what we find. We've been studying the book of Psalms, and today we look at the last three verses of Psalm 17, in which David divulges his hope. Now, this is a prayer of David, we know from the heading of the psalm, a prayer which saw mighty results from the hand of God. And it's in this prayer that David declared his innocence in verses 1 through 5. He was not the cause of this predicament about which he was praying. David then described his enemies. They were surrounding him. They're about to finish him, kill him. And now today, we'll see where David divulges his hope in Psalms 17, verses 13 through 15. The Bible says, Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword, from men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world, which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. They are full of children, and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Notice in verse 13, he asks God pointedly for two things, to disappoint the enemy and to deliver his soul. People get squeamish, if I can say that, about praying ill towards someone, about praying that something bad happens to somebody else. They wonder if that is ever appropriate, and I do understand that. But what David is praying for is that wicked men who were just then plotting even more wickedness against David, would be disappointed. David is praying for them to fail in their endeavors, which is certainly appropriate since they endeavored to do evil. In verse 13, Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down. Now notice that little word, arise, the very first word in verse 13. Four times in the book of Psalms before this, Four separate times in four different chapters, the psalmist has asked God to arise. David knows that when God stands up, all others must sit down. He asks God to arise, to disappoint the wicked man, and to cast him down. And he must be cast down, because he is risen up in pride, enclosed in his own fat or self-sufficiency, according to verse 10 earlier in the chapter. He asks God to cast him down, and to save his, David's soul. He wanted to be delivered from the danger he was in, and we've described that already, and how he was literally surrounded, about to be killed, and then just at the last minute, God sent a messenger to Saul to say, the Philistines are in the land, you have to turn back. And if not for that messenger, that prayer uh, answered, then David would have been killed. Look at the phrasing and wisdom of David's prayer. It says, deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword. Now that's the end of verse 13. And the beginning of verse 14 says, from men, which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world. So I'll I'll read that again without saying the, the verse break. Deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword, from men, which are thy hand, O Lord. David understood that no man could do anything unless God permitted him to do so. Now, please understand, God does not tempt anyone with evil. 
but evil is fully set in the heart of man. And God's sovereignty is such that he sometimes allows a wicked person to do wicked things, and they unknowingly help to perform God's plan. I'll read it again and emphasize, deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword, from men which are thy hand, O Lord. The Bible is clearly saying here that sometimes the wicked acts as the sword of the Lord here. Sometimes the wicked acts as the hand of the Lord. Now that might seem wrong to you, and, and it's a good place for me here to just talk to you and to point out something right here. Many Bible commentators and weak preachers go to great lengths to make the Bible sound as though it is saying something other than what it is actually saying. The reasons are many. Sometimes it is to keep from offending someone. Other times it's because the plain reading is too fantastic to believe or too deep to understand. Maybe they're perhaps lazy and here is one of those examples, lazy not to study. A common way to erase the plain meaning of these verses is to say something like, a better rendition would be, a better translation might say, and just like that, you've solved a, quote, problem passage, not by study, which is the right way to work out a difficult passage, but by changing what it says. And many do that right here. They'll change the meaning all around. They'll say, well, a better translation might have been deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword or something like that. But when you do that, you first of all, you change the meaning of the word of God, which is perhaps the worst thing a person can do. But specifically here, right here, you miss a deep, deep truth. That is one of the most helpful things that I have learned over the past several years and is consistent throughout scripture. And it's the truth that God is in control of what he allows to happen in your life. Wicked men do wicked things and they bear responsibility and consequences for that. Nations reject the Lord. Churches reject the Bible. Individuals reject salvation. And that is never the will of God. And there are always consequences. However, at the same time, God is sovereign enough wise enough, complex enough to work an infinite number of things at once with just one thing. Think about this verse in Proverbs 16, 4. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. I'll read it again. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. I heard somebody say once, the worst an enemy can do to you is to be an unwitting instrument to fulfill God's will in your life. So when God allows a wicked person to do harm to me, I can rest in the sovereignty of God. I can rejoice that God knows what's best for me and something better will come next. I can respond in a Christ-like manner walking in the Spirit because I know if it's happening to me and I'm walking in the will of God, it has gone through the filter of God. God knows what's best for me. God knows exactly what I need and when. And I could think, well, this person is doing wrong. Certainly, 
This is is nothing from God. God cannot use this at all. Oh, friend, that's incorrect thinking. That is unbiblical thinking. Just because someone is doing something bad to you and something wrong has been done to you, yes, that is wrong. That is bad. God doesn't condone that. And yet God, who knew that person would do that thing, in his sovereignty has allowed it to go ahead and happen to you. And if you submit to the working of God in your life, it will turn to good. And these foolish men here in Psalm 17 who think they are successfully working against the will of God, look at verse 14 again, describes them, from men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world, they're not of the Lord, which have their portion in this life. Not us, friend. If you're saved, your portion is in the life to come. Remember, wise men always choose that which will last the longest. Back in the verse, whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. You know, often the wicked seem to prosper. And it's true that God in his grace does not withhold the good of the earth often from the wicked. Food, drink, treasure, prosperity. But it's temporary. It goes on, they are full of children. God blesses them with children still and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. They do have substance, but notice it's temporary. They leave it all behind. And verse 15, As for me, here's David's hope, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Here we find a consistent theme in all those who would live the glorious, successful, joyful Christian life, and that is a focus on the world to come. An intense desire to see the Lord face to face and a working towards that end. Not in order to be saved, but a working to receive rewards. A working, a focus on the future knowing that That none of this matters near so much as standing face to face with Jesus and giving an account. David considered all the advantages of the wicked right at the moment. But then it all disappeared when he looked forward to being with the Lord. He said he would behold the Lord's face in righteousness. He He chose the Lord there. He said, I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. He said, nothing on this earth satisfies me, Lord, but you. David divulged his hope in his circumstance that whatever God allowed and whatever God performed, God was doing right. And in the meantime, in his circumstances, David would focus on the Lord and would be satisfied with waking up one day in glory with him. 